0: Morning, church. How are you? What that photo didn't show you is that he jinked back the other way and my momentum kept carrying me that way. I don't change direction terribly quickly. Oh, but God is good. Amen. Hey, um, I like science fiction movies. Especially, You know, I like the old ones. Any sci-fi fans here? Yeah. yeah, I read a book recently, Sci-Fi Short Stories, Exploring Religious Themes. Fascinating genre for that. I'm going nerd. Sorry, I'll pull it back a bit. So I quite like science fiction movies, and I quite like the old classics. So I like, you know, The Incredible Shrinking Man, War of the Worlds, um, Star Wars, yeah, much, much later, but classics, absolute classics. They haven't dated at all. They're brilliant. Um, Day the Earth Stood Still, the original, not the one with County Reeves, terrible film, but the original, brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. And, um, and I, I, I was reading about a, another film recently, this one. Anyone seen it? You wouldn't admit it if you did, eh? Um, so, you know, uh, I was reading uh, Rotten Tomatoes was saying that it's arguably one of the worst science fiction films of all time, but that's not to say it's not enjoyable. So I thought, oh, that was a hard case. But I was, read, I was reading about it, and, um, and quite a sad and shocking story that arose as I was reading about the story behind it. An actress by the name of Yvette Vickers, uh, she was a model at the time, um... B-movie actress, and her most famous role was in this film, uh, Attack of the 50-foot Woman. And she was found found dead in August 2011, and she would have been about 83 at the time, but no one knows actually how old she was when she died, because the LA coroner's report tells us that she lay for the better part of a year or more dead before anyone found her. Uh, Her neighbor, a woman by the name of Susan Savage, noticed that the mail was piling up, there were cobwebs around the house. So she went in through a broken window, pushed her way through piles and piles of junk mail that had come in through the door, and she found uh, Yvette Vickers lying there. Heater had been on, running the whole time, and so found her uh, mummified. And the story went quite viral at the time. The Los Angeles Times posted a story about um, Yvette Vickers' death. It quickly went viral. And her story stirred something of a rising fear in contemporary society a fear of loneliness a fear of loneliness among people. I've noticed, you might have noticed the, the millennial uh, trade of FOMO, F-O-M-O, FOMO, fear of missing out. I think it's rooted in that, a fear of missing out, a fear of loneliness, of not belonging, of not being wanted. And it's coming to the fore more and more in contemporary society. I was reading in an Atlantic article, a guy called Stephen March wrote on um, Ms. Vickers' passing, and he pointed out that she had no children She had no family, she she had no religious group, she wasn't part of a wider social circle at all, and so she'd begun as an elderly woman to connect with other people, uh, to look elsewhere for companionship. And a search of her phone records shows that in an effort to connect with other people, Ms. Vickers hadn't made calls to friends, hadn't made calls to family, but to distant fans who had found her through fan conventions and internet sites. So when that need to belong came, that's where she found it. Now, March comments that uh, Vicar's web of connections had grown broader but shallower, as has happened for many of us. So broader connections, but not as deep. Um, He goes on to say this, we are living in an isolation that would have been unimaginable to our ancestors. 200 years of the Enlightenment has taught us that we are individuals with rights, and we stand on our own, and and we have our ancestors would not understand the level of loneliness and isolation that we experience today, because they grew up connected to villages and a web of relationships that was intergenerational. And yet we've never been more accessible. And we'll ponder this. And our uh, march goes on to say we live. In an accelerating contradiction, what an amazing phrase, an accelerating contradiction, the more connected we become, the lonelier we are. Ponder this, uh, if you would, for a moment. We have the internet. We have text messaging and cell phones. You know, who here can remember the time before cell phones where if you wanted to make a call and you're out and about, you had to find a red phone booth and you needed three two cent pieces who remembers two-cent pieces, who used to tap the phone to save money. How cheap is that? It's only six cents, people. New Zealand went through economic problems. You could have helped. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, tap the phone, no problem. But you would go and you would find a phone booth, you know? Or, or I can remember my dad having to draw out cash by 4.30 on a Friday afternoon because the bank shut and everything shut and you got a weekend because people couldn't contact you. There were no cell phones. There was no internet. And life was slower. And people would bust around and go, hi, we've come to visit. And you wouldn't go, ah. You'd go, hey, come in. Sweet. Whereas the culture shifted today. Hey, it has shifted. Time by time. It's gone backwards. And, and, And I've just noted it. I can remember when I was a child, my parents knew everyone up this side of the road, everyone up that side of the road. We're not like that now. A lot of us don't know our neighbors. If you do, that's good. You're countercultural. But the culture has shifted in a massive way. Um, So we have the internet. We have text messaging. We have Skype. We have Twitter. I can remember calling my uncle in Dunedin, uh, and they'd have $5 calls over the weekend, because, and I'd, I'd make those calls because it was so expensive otherwise. But now you have Skype. You can do it for free. There's Viber. There's Twitter, there's Facebook, there's Snapchat, there's Tumblr, there's Instagram. You can upload video on YouTube. You know, people want to find relationships, they can swipe right or left on Tinder. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. That's great. I only know because someone told me about it earlier. Or or they can follow you on Twitter. Twitter. But the amazing thing is, the amazing thing is, for all of this instant linking with others, regardless of distance, the amazing thing is, despite our increased connectedness, our culture is noticing an increasing sense of isolation and loneliness and disconnection. Yet we are more connected than we ever have been. Far more connected. Um, Let me take it further, coming to our culture here in New Zealand. uh, In early 2016, the top complaint among Wellington callers in New Zealand here uh, to the local Samaritan Center, surpassing anxiety for the first time was loneliness in 2016. And uh, Bernadine Reed, who's the chairwoman of Samaritans Wellington, said in an interview, or uh, uh, said this in an interview, we know contact with other people and supportive environments around them is really key to people's survival. Really key. Look, carry on with this connected idea. Uh, here's an article that I was looking at. Best Friends, it's in Hemisphere magazine. And it explored a number of websites dedicated to finding you online friends. These companies, they'll create fake users or they'll take real account holders to follow you and like your social media sites for the right price. So, for example, Social Yup. If you want 500 likes for your post, you can pay US $30. Have you ever done that? I've put stuff up on Facebook, I go, I really like the song, and there's nothing. Like no one, not even my mum likes it. And you go, oh, I don't care, I like that song. But, but the culture is becoming increasingly dependent on that sort of connection for its worth for likes and that dopamine hit that comes from that acceptance. More and more. And uh, But yeah, for 500 likes, you can pay US $30 or if you want to, you can pay a little bit more for 20,000 likes, 699 US. There's a site called FanMe Now, which if you want 1,000 Twitter followers, that's just $10 US. Or you can go big, get a million followers for just $1,750 US. Or if you want to upload video to YouTube, you want 30,000 views, that's just US $150. Or if you want to go viral, get a million, it's just $3,100 US. There's a market for this. People wanting so much to be liked and accepted that they'll pay through the nose for it. The article continues: No matter what social network you're on, you can buy your way to popularity. You and I know you can't, eh? Hey? I've read heard the stories of the likes of Jackie Onassis and other pop stars who would pay thousands of dollars to have friends. It's just no way to live. What is this but a mere reflection of? This accelerating contradiction, the more connected we become, the lonelier we are. One of the, the the sad critiques of the millennial generation is that when they go through a crisis, they're not turning to a person, but a device for their affirmation and for support. And as I say, I... I talk about what's going on here in New Zealand, Bernadette Peters and uh, dealing with the Samaritans in Wellington. She says, we know contact with other people and supportive environments around them is really key to people's survival. Um, and, 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 you know, this is a, this is a cross gender. This is a cross age, but, but I do a bit of, uh, research and writing in the era of Kiwi masculinity. I find that fascinating. And, uh, And, you know, there's research coming out. There was a Boston Globe article last year written by a guy, Billy Baker, that said that the the number one issue for middle-aged men isn't obesity, it isn't smoking, it's loneliness. They're so caught up with work and they're so caught up with the busyness of life and home, they're not having meaningful relationships and it's causing issues. They don't have friends like they had when they were younger. Or, you know, younger men, and then this is just the area that I researched. This is across all human beings. But but for younger men too, I read this uh, a fan- fascinating article by Stephen Gaddis, who's a, a New Zealand counsellor, but he said this, we live in an anti-relational, vulnerability-despising culture, one that not only fails to nurture the skills of connection, but actively fears them. Just ponder that for a moment, what that would mean for us as young men growing up. I remember taking my boys to the movies years ago. It would have been about seven years old, walking through Chartwell. We'd just finished seeing the movie and they come out and they're dancing around in Chartwell, playing, not worrying about what anyone thinks. And then all of a sudden, they just move together and they just put their arms around each other as they're walking ahead of me. They just put their arms together and they're walking. And I enjoyed the moment. I enjoyed the purity of the moment. I enjoyed the, the, the unbridled joy and intimacy of the moment. And then I started to grieve and I grieved because I thought you live in a culture that will soon tell you that you cannot act like that. If you want to be a man, if you want to be accepted, you can't be that intimate. You cannot be that gentle. You cannot show tenderness for one another. And the culture teaches us what we have to do to be accepted as men. And for nearly half a century, I've been Working according to the you know, working under the pressure, the voices of the culture. And I sat there and I watched my boys and I thought I I determined in that moment to do all that I can to ensure that they hold on to that tenderness and gentleness. Because gentleness reflects our masculinity just as much as strength. Being staunch, there's a time for being staunch, and there's a time for being vulnerable and tender. And in the culture that we, we've had growing up, it's despised vulnerability for us as men. I know, I know that. I can't speak. You know, I, I, I love hearing about the experience of women and youth and our, our, our elderly. But it's a culture that makes it very hard to go, hey, guys, I'm feeling a bit scared and I need some help. And Christ teaches me a different way of being a man. And I've got to take hold of that. But there's so many cultural pressures that just make it very hard for us to connect in any sense of depth or intimacy. See, as human beings created in the image of God, we were not made for isolation and loneliness. Windows is not designed that way. It just isn't in our nature. See, part of growing up in Western culture, 200 years of the Enlightenment, we've learned that, you know, as an infant, you're dependent, but then you become independent. And you've got to be John Wayne. and Stand on your own two feet. You don't need help. You don't need, you can do it all on your own. And, and we've, we've idealized the, the autonomous, independent individual. And, you know, who knows? There's a point where you actually have to become independent, eh? Hey? You know, if I'm still going back... To, to mum for everything, it's is not cool. I have to learn to be able to stand on my own two feet. But true human maturity comes when we pass from dependence through independence back to interdependence. That's that's human maturity. The fifth commandment, honour your mother and father that it may go well with you and you'll have a long life in the land. That's not a commandment for infants. That's a commandment for me as a 46-year-old man. Honour your mother and father. See, it calls me to interdependence. It calls me into relationship. It calls me to cross generations in love. Interdependence, not independence. We weren't created to be self-sufficient, autonomous, independent, staunch, never asking for help, do it on our own individuals. Despite what, for me, the masculine ideal of the culture said, despite what the world says. We weren't created to stand alone. Rather, we were created for webs of relationships. Can I hear amen if anyone's with me on this? I want us to grasp this this morning. We are not mere individuals. It's not about me and the plan for my life. As important as that is, as important as we are as individuals to Almighty God, rather, He calls us into community. He calls us into relationship. We were designed for community, we were created as human beings for belonging. And by design we're created for community as part of our being designed in God's image. He was here a couple of weeks ago and Pastor Sheridan preached before he left and he talked about the triune God. The one true God of Christian tradition who, who manifests himself as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And you see, before God created us, the Father eternally loved the Son and the Son eternally loved the Father. And out of that divine community and love, He shared His love with us as He created us. So part of our being created in the image of God is our social nature. We're created for relationship. You see, in many ways, our identity comes from relationship, the Son of God. You cannot be the Son unless you stand in relation to the father. His identity came from relationship. And as far as his human whakapapa went, he was the son of Mary and the son of Joseph of the tribe of Judah and the line of King David. See, who he was was determined by his relationships. That's a human thing. That's a human thing. So we've got to grasp that this morning. Now, due to the fall of Adam and Eve, The intimate community and belonging for which we were created and designed, that was shattered. It was destroyed by sin, that most unpopular topic and unpopular word, sin. But that's what sin does it destroys community. You know, if we take the picture from Rachel's communion message, that filth that ingrains, you know, all of a sudden sin comes in and I don't see myself in the way that God does. I don't see myself as a person of worth. So I hide from deep relationship with you. Or because of sin, I think too much of myself, so I judge you. And, and you see, all of a sudden, we're not an intimate community and relationship. Sin destroys community. Anger, pride, jealousy, all of those things. Sex, God created within a relationship, a loving covenant relationship, but sex outside of that just becomes something that's corrupted and people become things to be used. And everything is driving us apart rather than bring so, so, so with the fall, we were scattered. But at Pentecost, there's a great ingathering where God is creating community with us in Christ. And so this negative, this fear of loneliness, this profound and increasing uh, disconnection, it also reflects a deep positive for us, our inherent God-given capacity and desire for connection and belonging. Do anyone remember that old show, Cheers, years ago? Yeah, and, uh, you know, and the theme song, you know? You want to be where you can see. the Troubles are all the same. Gee, that's high. You want to be where everybody knows your name. You want to belong. Remember that fellow would walk in, everyone, Norm! Work was hard, life sucked, but when he turned up, they loved him. People want to belong. It's a human thing. And so Solomon in his reflection in Ecclesiastes chapter four, if you want to look, I've got verses here on the PowerPoint, but if you want to follow along in your Bibles, we're reading from Ecclesiastes four, verse seven. Solomon reflects on the meaningless, it's a fantastic book for a postmodern world, Ecclesiastes. He, he doesn't pull his punches. He doesn't, he doesn't try and make things pretty. He just calls it as he sees it. And, and one of the things that he finds meaningless Uh, in life is this here. So let's have a look. So Ecclesiastes 4, reading from verse 7. And so Solomon says, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. waste of time, a chasing after the wind, vanity. And this is the case of a man who is all alone. So he's raising the issue of isolation and loneliness. A man who is all alone without a child, or a brother, so there's no family connection, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. So he's finding his sense of worth in his mahi, his work, and in the accumulation of wealth. Do we recognize that at all? And so that's what he's doing. He's working, he's accumulating wealth, but suddenly he has this epiphany and he asks himself two questions. First, who am I working for? You know, what's the point of being Scrooge McDuck with a Big bin full of money if you're the only one who gets to swim around in it and enjoy it. Sorry, obscure Disney comic reference here. <laughs> but what's the point if what's what's the point? And he carries on, why am I giving up so much pleasure now? Now, normally if we read pleasure we'd think partying, you know, the good life, yeah, Ibiza and all that. But actually, pleasure in this context is having children and a brother and relationships. And he's going, I'm working and I'm accumulating wealth, but I'm foregoing the pleasure of deep, meaningful relationships. What's the point? Now, work and accumulating wealth, they're all okay unless they become corrupted. And all of a sudden, that's where my sense of worth comes from. And that's, what, that's where my status comes from. And that's what he's saying here. He's, he's highlighting this issue of isolation and loneliness. And, and, and these questions here, well, what's the point? not why am I working, who? Who am I working for? What's the point? And then we read on at how Solomon actually addresses this issue of isolation. And you might recognize these verses. Two are better than one. Two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed or they can have a better return for their labor. I know if the whole family mucks in at home, we get more done than if just one of us does it. I'm strong, I can carry really heavy stuff, but I can't do it all day. But if three or four of us are doing it, it's easy. So two people are better than one. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. As you might see, if you ever come and watch me play rugby, it takes a while to get off the ground. (laughs) Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm but how can one be warm alone? We often see these verses in the context of marriage, and rightly so. But they're bigger than that. This is about human community and not living on our own. That actually Owen and me together, in the eyes of God, is better than me doing it on my own. There's something that pleases God when I humble myself and submit myself and Owen does likewise and we submit to one another and work together that pleases God and actually is better for us. Oh God, I did it on mine. Ooh, awesome. Uh, He carries on. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And we often read that in light of God, God in the midst of his people and the strength that comes from God's presence among his people, amen? And our life and power that flows from that. And yet we also know from scripture how good it is when brethren dwell in unity, true? That if two people together are good, imagine three. Or four, that there's an exponential power to community that, that grows and grows beyond just adding one plus one, plus one. It's actually far more than that. There's an old uh, pirate proverb that says, three can keep a secret if two of them are dead. <laughs> you know, which is okay, but also sad too, like if it's got to be right, then I've got to know, I can't trust people, I can't trust people. But, but when you have three, and Owen's watching out for me, and I'm watching out for Rachel, and Rachel's watching out for Owen, and there's a a community of unity and love, well, that's powerful. That's powerful. And then when I get hurt by one of them, and I can overcome that hurt, and we can reconcile, and the relationship becomes stronger, that's great. But the ability to get offended and wander off Without actually, bro- without actually broaching it as God intends, and, and I'm not belittling offences because the whole point of it is they hurt. But but God calls us into the hard work of loving one another, even though I might get up your nose. You know, you know, we we have an ideal of community, then we've got to deal with the reality of it. Well, God wants us to deal with the reality, person. So 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 Solomon says. Uh, against the futility of isolation and loneliness, that, that meaning isn't, isn't found in work, as, as good as work is, and not in accumulating wealth, because wealth is good and can be used to bless others, but actually it's found in sharing our lives with others, deep, meaningful relationships. And so Solomon offers an alternative. In these, views, in these verses, he's offering an alternative to the isolation and loneliness that he first addressed. In the place of loneliness, he offers togetherness. In the place of isolation, he offers intimacy. In the place of the corruption of work, he says, no, when two work together, they can have a good return for their labor and they can succeed. In place of suffering, there can be solace. Oh, you know, I'm suffering, but I just got to just gotta get over it. And, no, you know what? You're not supposed to suffer on your own. And so someone can sit with you and just be with you, and that can bring healing. There's a healing that comes from being in community. There's a he- when you've got good relationships, sometimes just being in the presence of those people is enough. I've learned that I don't often have the answers, but I can sit with you. I can buy you a feed. I can, I can, I can sit with you and love you. And, and, and God can move. Don't have to have all the answers. I grew up with a Christianity where you had to have all the answers. And you quote the verses and have the answers. No one has all the answers. But I can love you. And and there's wisdom among the body of Christ and the Spirit of God can speak. So it's just just giving ourselves a bit of being kind to ourselves, I suppose. In place of injustice, there's a strength from standing together. Look at the story of the civil rights movement in the States. Look at the revolutions that took place post-communist Russia. Sorry, and post communist Europe, and, and, and how people just kept, there was a strength in people coming together, not violently, but just going, No, we'll stand together. And so there's a justice that can be found there, too. So Solomon is using this idea of community, of belonging, two or more people working together, doing life together, reaching out, helping together, serving together, even fighting together as a counterweight to all the issues of isolation and loneliness, which I think are endemic in society today. He's telling us that there's something exponentially powerful in the nature of community. Our research professor, Brené Brown, she does a lot of work in the area of shame. And she says a deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need of all men, women, and children. That need to belong is a human thing at the very core of who we are. She goes on to say, we are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, to be loved, and to belong. When those needs are not met, we don't function as we were meant to. We break, we fall apart, we numb, we ache, we hurt others, we get sick. See, when, I, when my love is, is thrown back in my face and I'm not loved and I don't have that sense of belonging, I might start to question my own worth. I might start not to step out. I might, I, I might start to just get down. And then because there's no one around to pick me up, it just gets worse. Actually, we were created to belong. And sin gets in and messes up the whole thing. And that's why God in Christ has come to deal with sin and to restore us to his family. The absence of love, she says, the absence of love and belonging will always lead to suffering. We were created to belong, amen? We were made to love and to be loved and to belong. We were created for community. And ultimately, God in Christ longs to bring all people into his family, into loving biblical community. And here we're talking about the church. We're not talking about buildings. We're not talking about, we're we're talking about people. You know, Pastor Ray used those words before, and he echoed the words of, The Apostle Paul, who had realized the love of Christ, was able to say, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is his church. All of these people sitting here. John Stott, the great Bible scholar, once preached saying this, the church lies at the very heart of God's eternal purpose. God's purpose is not merely to save Isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness. God's purpose is to build a church to build a redeemed people for his glory. See, He see, I'm an individual and he loves me, and, and, and as Augustine said, God loves each of us as though there's only one of us to love. His His whole love is focused on each of us as individuals. And, and we are we are precious as individuals. But the emphasis I'm wanting to bring up that is just as important. Is that it's not all about me and the plan for my life? Rather, he has called me to be a part of a community of his people. And he says, if I am Lord and you worship me, then love my people, love your brothers and sisters. And who knows that's rubber meets the road? Who knows that that's not necessarily uh, easy or what? But but that's 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 what God has called us to do. To love his people. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. In Acts chapter 2, Luke gives us a peek into the life of the early church and how the lordship of Christ and the transforming work of the Spirit changed and transformed that early community. And one of the things he notes, he talks about how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to prayer, they devoted themselves to the sharing of bread and meals. But he also says this. All the believers devoted themselves to fellowship, koinonia, a deep sense of community. And and I, I like Eugene Peterson's message translation. He translates it this way. They committed themselves to the life together. To the life together. As I close here. You know, if you've heard Pastor Rex preach, he he talks about the one another life. And you go through the New Testament, love one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, be kind to one another, uh, agree with one another. There's this life that we're called to that requires us to be together. Even the fruit of the Spirit. I can't be kind on my own. I need an object for my kindness. And I need to be the object of your kindness. I need to be the object of your patience. You need to be the object of my love. It requires us to interact as community. God calls us to this life together, to the one another life. We weren't meant to do life alone. We're not made for it. My car's not made to run on diesel. It's made to run on 91. You can't pour milk into my car and expect it to run. You can't pour petrol into the cat bowl and expect the cat to be happy. It's not how they're designed. You and I were designed to run on God, and you and I were designed for community. Doesn't work other we don't work properly otherwise. We don't work properly. God sent his son to save us and to draw us to himself in love. You know, uh, when Jenny brought the prophetic word, she said, You know, you could hear the heart of God saying, Tell them that I love them. Can you hear the heart of a father wanting his children to know that they're loved and to live as part of the family? You know, I don't know about you, but there are times where I ponder my children and I love them so much, it hurts. And I desire so much for them. And I want them to get on. I want them to, to see themselves as God sees them and, and to be able to block out the, the rubbish rhetoric of the world and to be able to walk in who they are. And there was something of that heart of God coming through and that word going, do you not see that I love you? And we've gotta see it through that far no lens of father loving his children and us being a part of a family. Because our culture doesn't work that way. So we need to take hold of Scripture and the teaching of God and His kingdom in order to enact that here today. Because we don't talk about brother and sister out there, but we do in here and we do when we go out. What I mean out there, the culture doesn't think that way. So we need to take hold of Scripture, amen? and start thinking of God our Father and the family of God and let that permeate the way we speak, the way we think, the way we act. So this year, we want to explore the theme of belonging. We were never meant to do life alone. We're not made for it. We're not made for it. So rather God wants us, as we heard through the prophetic word, wants us to know that we are loved. We're accepted. That He wants us to have a sense of belonging. He wants His children to love one another. He wants His children to love one another and for us to get our identity from His love for us rooted in His family and let our identity flow from that. A place to belong among His children, close to His heart. Learning to live as His family here on earth so that it's done here on earth as it is in heaven. Learning to live life together oh dear God help us to commit to the life together amen let me pray let's just stand eh, as a, a, a sign of uh, unity as yes. the people of God dear God so much so much of our culture works to drive us apart and Keep us unfocused and subtle voices that just creep in, Lord, and just have us pursuing things that that are probably negligible value in your eyes. Heavenly Father, we ask that by your spirit, you would help us commit to the life together, that you would help us to take hold of the teaching of Pastor Steve McCracken to see with your eyes to see with your eyes, your family here in this place, this community of faith, to, to love with, with, with something of your heart. God, to see with your eyes, the brothers and sisters that surround us. God, that you would bind us together by your spirit and help us to be your, your people, looking to you, loving one another, and being a witness in the midst of this world that doesn't know you. Lord Jesus, we ask that day by day you would help us to see you more clearly, to love you more dearly, and to follow you more nearly, day by precious day. Amen. Let's give Pastor Simon a hand.